Hello and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. As you can tell, we've got no aid this week, so you're stuck with me. But don't worry, because Rachel's here as well. Rach, how are you? I'm here. I'm here. We finally managed to get a recording going and I can see a waveform. I can see um, a monitor going up and down. I can hear things. It's all, you know, magical. (laughs) Modern technology at its finest. Um, And to keep you and I company, as promised on backing paper, we have Mm -hmm. also got uh, only 50%, but you know, 50% 50% of such a wonderful thing is still a wonderful thing. Uh, it is David Allen from the Danger Boys. <laughs> David, how are hey you? Yes, thanks for having me. <laughs> Danger Boys. I don't know. We need a theme song, like entrance music. Yeah, you. I think you do at this point. Um, it's like a, with the wrestling. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like wrestling, yeah. it's just entrance music. Yeah. <laughs> you get entrance music when you turn up in Lycra tights uh, or whatever it is that wrestlers wear. <laughs> Spandex. How do you know when, I'm not wearing Lycra tights? Okay. Well. I was about to ask that actually. <laughs> oh, there's an upsetting mental image. Um, Aid unfortunately has to be up at insane o'clock in the morning to go off to do boring business meetings tomorrow, which is why he couldn't be with us tonight. Um, so we'll just have to do our best to make sure the conversation um, doesn't wander down too many dark alleyways without him, without his guiding force there. But I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> I think we're slightly safer. Oh, man. Um, sadly, Simon not with us because his internet is shockingly broken still, isn't it? <laughs> it's so bad. So, yeah. Never mind. You've got the the dream trio here to keep you company, and I thought the first place we'd start off, the most obvious place, is of course a catch up on how Tanky Muck One Shot, or the now uh, what's the more sensible name it's now been given? One shot inching down. Yeah. <laughs> One shot inching down. Um, I'm not sure that's much better. I'll be honest, but at least no, no. There's... Tanky Muck One Shot's definitely better. Yeah. <laughs> Although Tanky Muck One Shot, when you googled it, did take you to an erotica blog, didn't it? Yeah. Took you to an erotica <laughs> blog. But... Uh, yeah, that's true. Might have been clicking on my favourites by mistake. <laughs> yeah. It's... So yeah, we last spoke to you guys just before you went off on this adventure. Um, how did it go, Dave? Oh man, it. It, well, well, I guess, because we did it. <laughs> we got a print. But our, I think you you know that our, our camera guy sort of bagged on us in the last minute. Mm, it was really late in the day, wasn't it, unfortunately? I remember seeing a message from you come through saying, if anybody's around in that area, we need somebody to come and film it. And I was gutted because I totally would have gone along and done that. Unfortunately, I was I was booked somewhere else. Um uh, at the time, but uh, it would have been so cool to to go and and see see the magic in action. <laughs> uh, been, yeah, no, it'd been amazing. We had three air mattresses for the tunnels and everything. We were we were Perfect. ready. Uh, so yeah, so it was it was very much last minute. I mean, I was dealing with those tweets and trying to find someone mm-hmm. at the airport to fly out. So Oof. so so I, I we are dealing with that. And Intrepid sent us their first production enlarger. The very first production and larger, and it didn't, it hadn't come yet, either. So we're like, okay, well, what do we get? We're we're talking on the phone as I'm in the airport. Like, what are we gonna do if this doesn't come? What light sources do we have? We're still gonna go through with it. Um, so yeah, so it was sort of a rocky start, and having no camera guy, it was just, it was, it was tiring. Everything took three times as long as you'd expect, and and you, you as you watch the footage afterwards you can see as we got more tired things are out of focus and <laughs> you know like things aren't shut up correctly you can just sort of you can judge how exhausted we are by the quality of video 
Yeah. So, actually, what we probably should have done, just in case anybody doesn't remember, can you just very briefly outline what you wanted to achieve with going into these tanks, what these tanks are, what you wanted to achieve, and then we can kind of go through how it actually panned out in the end. Yeah, so I guess we had been in these tanks before, these underground tanks, and some some, uh, loyal listeners will have heard this uh, three million times, but it's just six of these underground tanks that were secret and in uh, Scotland, in the Highlands. And each one is freaking huge. And they're not open to public generally. So we had been in there a year prior and Simon had this idea to sort of set up a dark room and take a shot of one of the tanks and try to develop it and print in the access tunnels. And so we just sort of developed this idea of, hey, let's just take the worst situation possible and see if we can get a giant fiber print out of it. And just sort of evolved, because at first he wanted to do it on paper negatives, which was just a dumb idea, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So I corrected that. Um, But most of it was his idea, other than the paper paper negs. Uh, Yeah, and so we went in, and we slept over in these underground access tunnels from World War II. We took only one photo, one large format negative of inside of one of these tanks. We developed it in the tunnels, and then we set up a dark room in the tunnels and did a 127 centimeter print in in the tunnels. And how did it all go? I mean, did it all go as smoothly as you're saying it? Because it sounds so it all went very smoothly from the way you're putting it across. Yeah, I mean... As smoothly as can be expected, us having to manage, having no extra set of hands. We had people who came in to help film for exactly one hour of a whole week. So, so yeah, everything took maybe four times longer than our expected timeline. And so we thought we'd be filming for a couple of days and then we'd be relaxing the week and going over footage. But we were actually in those tunnels basically for a week, uh, which is very exhausting. But it went well in the sense that we got a print and we actually did exactly what we set out to do. That's amazing. I know that um, one of the things you were talking about last time was very much the practicalities of actually just getting all of the stuff up to the tanks is it was was really tough um, because there was only so far you could go in a vehicle and then the rest of it was literally physical labor to carry it. Is that still is that how that panned out? Yeah. So Simon took as much stuff as he could in advance uh, before I came out because I only spent, I, I showed up and then spent one night at Simon's house and the very next day we went into the tanks. So he got as much stuff up there as he could and then everything else fit into his little VW. We just shoved it full, including a wheelbarrow, which we used in uh, several passes to go up this path to put the rest of the the rest of the gear in but yeah so we're taking turns running a wheelbarrow uh, down this you know 300 meter uh not very good path um you has already taken one shot up there so i'm assuming that taking the shot the second time round went fairly smoothly because you had had practice with that and you, you say you did just take one exposure whilst you were there yeah, we only had time for one. I mean, the lens was open for about an hour to get that shot. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was because I had to walk the whole length with the flash again, but the flash would overheat. You have to wait for it to charge. So there was some issues like that. 
And we did one. Yeah, so the, the shot itself was much cleaner. Uh, the negative is a little thin because we weren't counting on developing in such a cold environment. So I think the temperature dropped too steeply while developing. Yeah. So in hindsight, developing, we should I should have... I should have left the neg in for a few more minutes, maybe average temperature, just sort of guessed what the temperature would end up and split the difference for developing time. Um, and I'd say next time I know, but there's no way I'm doing that again. <laughs> you say that, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> so how did the printing side go? Um, as you said, you had the first production model of the Intrepid in Larger, uh, and um, what a great place to road test something for the first time. <laughs> what? It went really well. Uh, yeah. Um, it, the the printing side actually went pretty well. We Simon actually brought a big box of very expired paper for test strips. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't getting good times. And so we were having... It took longer to like... Just took a while to get a test. But then our very first big print, you know, was maybe a, a stop too dark. But it was really easy to eyeball it. Right, it, our very first big print. We go, oh, okay, let's let's decrease a stop on uh, on exposure, and then we are pretty much there. And then I did, I made an audible. We did a second print, and we just did, we're running out of time because at this point, for the other two prints, we actually had to get Simon's son, and he was actually sitting in the tunnels as we're printing the second two prints, which were a different day. And <laughs> so we're just we're we're really pressed for time. And I just made an audible. I said, we need to split grade this. Because, because the negative was so thin, to get the detail we wanted, you had to decrease the contrast. But then you weren't getting the blackness sort of of the location. Mm. So then I just made an audible because we only had time for one more print. I said, let's just uh, let's split grade it. Uh, f- just hit it on uh, contrast five for an additional 15 seconds or something. And Can it I- turned out really I- well. So, Sorry, David. Yeah. Um, can I ask what's what's an audible? Oh, an audible. So, so that's like uh, in American football, if someone just like makes a play on the fly rather than it being planned. Yeah. And can I ask a question? Yeah. What's a split grade? Oh, okay. So, so sometimes when you when you print with multi grade paper, you might actually want to do multiple exposures at different contrast grades. Right. So if you just do, say your exposure is 45 seconds, right? And and it looks good, but your blacks just aren't black there, but you have the details you want. If you do a really high contrast hit of, say, 15 seconds, something that wouldn't normally expose enough, but you do on contrast five after you did your normal exposure, because it's not very long, almost nothing light is going to get added to. And because it's high contrast, you're just going to pick up blacks. So by doing multiple exposures onto your paper with different contrast filters, you can actually pull pull different details out. Oh, that's cool. Okay. There's something else I never knew about before. So that was on the, the third print you made? Yeah, the good one, yeah. The good one. So the, <clears throat> so you've got the first print was um, overexposed. Yeah, so too dark, yeah. Second one... Um, just didn't capture as much detail as you wanted. The the second one was had the detail, but it didn't have enough darkness. So that's why I said let's let's hit it with a number five filter for an additional fifteen seconds just yeah. to get some of the deepness. And the problem with the second one, that big paper in in like waiting pools, is 
it just it's hard to get in evenly. So the second one had lots lots of streaking right on the top, mm-hmm. and so we just didn't get as even of a development as we wanted either. So so we definitely wanted, but we only had time for one more after that. So fortunately, that the third one's you, pretty good. Your paddling pool was round, and your um, print was square. No, the, <laughs> so. the paddling pools were rectangular, but oh, okay, well done. Uh, they, the prints, the paper barely fit into them. <laughs> and already with fiber paper, even when you're printing smaller, if you've printed a lot of fiber, you know it's really easy to get it in unevenly and have streaking on it. Yep, yep. Definitely. I mean, that's just like a natural thing with fiber. So now you can imagine, even if we had a slightly bigger paddling pool, you can imagine trying to get paper that's 127 centimeters by 100 centimeters is the cut of paper <laughs> into a pool evenly and having chemicals run over it evenly. mm and that's so, crazy yeah, yeah. so did, so did you have it like braced on anything in, to stop it um curling or I mean, how did you deal with the, like the drying aspect of it as well the, so nothing will dry in those tunnels way okay. too cold way mm. too much moisture so just the first print we had left over a weekend just hanging up in the tunnels so we stayed a night. We got our first print that the next day. So we sort of did what we set out to do, which was stay overnight, stay in, get a first print. And then we had a weekend's off, uh, which was our only rest during 10 days. And then we went back, and the first print after a weekend was still tacky. So nothing will dry mm-hmm. in there. And I'm imagining like a massive set of squeegee, you know, tongues, a bit like... Um, uh, car windscreen wipers <laughs> you'd have to use them <laughs> no i mean the emulsion just stays stays uh filled tacky. with moisture is the problem yeah. it's just tacky so there's a farm inch and down the farm which is just below the tanks we were in touch with the farmer who's a really cool guy colin and he just said hey if you guys need anything and simon's british so he would never dare actually just impose <laughs> on him but I said, hey, we're going to call the farmer and ask if we can dry at the farmhouse. And Simon's like, maybe no, we'll figure something out. And I just was like, hey, Colin, can we hang two giant prints up in your, in the farmhouse? He's like, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> and I was like, awesome. So we ended up drying them in the farmhouse in Inch and Down Farm, which was really cool. That is really cool. Like by an open fire or something. Did yeah. you wait, wait, wait them down? Um, I'm just thinking, you know, about, you know, the four by five um, paper negatives um, and, uh, you know, or 10 by eight prints or, or what yeah. have you and trying to get them to dry flat and, you know, and everything, you know, just wondered how you approach that when you've got over a meter, you know, sort of sized piece of paper. <laughs> It's nice because the weight of the paper, it doesn't dry as curly. Like with uh, fiber, okay. I actually mm-hmm. like printing larger because I have yeah. less curling issues. Because usually gotcha. the paper is the same thickness. So if you're printing 8 by 10 fiber, mm-hmm. it's just really mm-hmm. a pain in the butt because it just like curls all up. And yeah. so when you go bigger in general, like lately, I've been, just in my own dark room, I've been printing the smallest I'll print is 30 by 40 centimeters, I think, normally. And so... Uh, the big paper actually just sort of curls in the corners and uh and so it wasn't as bad as as you'd actually think it wasn't as bad as smaller fiber prints because huh. the paper weight the yeah. weight of the paper the mm-hmm. paper weight. Hmm. Yeah. so by the time you'd done the first two prints and you knew you only had time for one print left were you at this point getting <laughs> slightly panicked by uh, the fact because you know you 
you said, look, we're doing this to promote us, but also promote stuff for Intrepid. And, you know, you kind of said this is the thing we're going to set out and do. Was there an element of worry in that last print? You were so tired at that point. I just remember (laughs) going, we're going (laughs) to we're going to split grade this. Let's just do it. And it went really smoothly, actually. And I don't I think at that point we were just tired and we were happy that we got something. And even though it wasn't perfect, we're like, okay, well, we'd still count it as a success, even if the third Mm -hmm. print came out. So I think at that point, we're just sort of tired in the groove. And uh, yeah, it just you can see in the we edited a rough cut of the documentary already. And I don't have the second print in there at all. Uh, We don't because, you know, it's just so redundant showing printing three times. But you see the first time we print and then you see the third time. And it's just so funny watching that footage because you can even even when you watch the the rough cut, it just we look so much more natural. We're quicker. We're putting it in evenly. I'm not like wrestling with with paper. <laughs> and so I think at that point we were just tired. We sort of knew what we were mm. doing. We didn't really think much about it. We just made a print and we were happy with it. So. Um, logistically, how difficult is it just to move around the print that size? Because I imagine a, large, a sort of meter plus sheet of soggy paper. The risk of actually just tearing that is not tiny. Is that a thing you have to be careful of? Or getting yeah. bugs stuck to it, I imagine, as well. That kind oh, of thing. Man. Yeah. Like, well, down there, it's just so dirty. It just every There's like a layer of hair on the negative because the negative dried in there. Like, I could say the negative never really dried. And you're just like, there's just film on everything. Not like the good emulsive film like film as in like grunge on everything um but yeah wrestling the print so you you get creases really easily and even on the final one there's some some creases uh just because handling it especially in a small you know in a narrow corridor Mm. it's just really really hard Uh, because once it's wet it just creases super easily the first one was creased like crazy so yeah why did you decide to go with um, fiber-based paper rather than um, resin-coated paper? Because I, I would imagine that that would be way easier with the drying in particular, with the resin-coated paper. Yeah, oh, resin-coated would have been way easier, yeah. Uh, I don't know, because it's harder. We just sort of said, hey, what, <laughs> what is like what people consider a fine art print, you know? Like, can we make it work somehow in the worst possible environment? So it was just... You know, it just seemed to work with the the theme. Like, can we do this? Because normally in my dark room at home, I don't print any RC anymore. Mm. I just like fiber better. I don't... The blacks are deeper. I just really like how fiber looks, right? And so it just sort of felt like, well, this is my standard normally. Can we can we hold to that in some sort of way in a World War II underground tunnel? You know? I don't know. But yeah, RC would have been easier. If anyone is listening and is like, I want to try to print huge in some godforsaken place, you probably <laughs> use resin-coaded paper. It's probably <laughs> advisable. Okay, so I mean, you got you got you spent 10 days with a brief break, essentially sat down in the dark doing this, but without somebody there doing filming with you, you were having to do all that yourself. And um, some things were more tricky than others, and just being down there sounds like it was more tricky in general than you anticipated. Yeah. Um, once it was all done, what's been going on? Because it certainly didn't stop there, especially not for you, but I know that you've been working a lot 
So for the documentary that you're working on, it's not just, oh, here's some footage of um, David and Simon down making these prints and then coming out, you are putting together something much uh, more involved than that. So what have you been doing since then uh, that's been going towards this documentary? Yeah, so since then, so Simon has been shooting some B-roll and footage that we just couldn't get because everything took so much longer while I was there. So we were just in the tunnels most of the time. So he like he's shot some supplementary stuff, and I've had to catch up on paying work, and I had an ex- exhibition in Lyon um, to prepare, so I actually spent a lot of time in the darkroom, so I couldn't actually spend a lot of time on the documentary until recently. And so Simon shot as much B-roll as he could, and then he flew out uh, about two weeks ago for 10 days and brought all that extra footage he shot, and, and we just went and put, you know, uh, put our heads down and edited the entire rough cut while I was here. So it was sort of like a nothing and then everything at once kind of thing. But him being here was really helpful because I know how to edit. So Simon doesn't know editing directly, but we could watch the footage together. And anyone who's edited video will know that you'll spend five minutes editing video and you'll go, I can't believe it's been two hours. And then you'll look at the clock and you go, oh, it's been five minutes. It just seems like it takes forever. And so having Simon there was was pretty helpful and made it actually get done so so yeah so that's basically it we've just been sort of i i guess i made the trailer and simon's been shooting shooting b-roll and we've just done minor stuff on on uh on social media oh and i got the good print framed professionally with the anti-reflective museum glass um because we want it protected so Mm -hmm. so we got i got that uh, framed which is awesome it looks just awesome so who did you get to frame that and where is it currently living so i got uh there's a place in toulouse called art de Gadre, like art and frames mm-hmm. and they are just they're really good with with just high level stuff and i've dealt with them before and they're sort of the place to go for for art framing in toulouse for and, photos that you've taken in a tank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I went to them and sort of talked to the lady there, and I'd worked with her before, which was nice. And so we just talked about ideas and figured out what would what would work, and mm-hmm. sort of sprung for the the better museum glass because it already costs a lot to frame something that large, especially mm. when it's matted, which it is. <laughs> so just this huge matted print, um, and so. Yeah, I got them to do it, and I it just so happened that I had a photo exhibition in Lyon, and uh, the framing was done two days before I was leaving for Lyon, so I got to exhibit it there. Ah, oh, wonderful. Which was sort of just as, you know, just sort of as an aside, which is a lot of fun. And then uh, Simon, when he was here, he went, he drove with me to Lyon to actually take everything down from that show that I didn't sell, and so he got to help me take down Tanky, as we call it and mm-hmm. bring it back to my place. So currently it's actually hanging on my wall because that's the safest place. And then we're hoping to um, maybe get some funding to get it back to Scotland just because I think people in the Highlands would be interested in it, especially with the history. So it'd be nice to try to exhibit it there locally. Mm. But right now we can't actually afford to have that big of a thing sent sent to yeah well i was gonna say i mean can can you even get it in the car if it's like a meter and a half square or it (laughs) just fits in my car if we take the seats out yeah wow so yeah in my picasso if i take out the three back (laughs) seats 
it laying flat takes up the entire behind the driver and passenger seat. Because obviously, once you've got it mounted and framed, it's you're not going to be rolling it up, are you, and yeah. taking it somewhere? So, uh, wow. Well, I mean, that's really cool that you got to um, display it though in exhibition. What was the feedback like from people going to that exhibition to see it? Oh, people loved it. Uh, so the guy who runs the space, it's uh, it's sort of a photog- It's actually this really cool place um, called Nicefort, uh Bistro mm-hmm. Nicefort in Lyon. So if anyone's in Lyon, look up uh, Nicefort. And the it's this nice, it's this excellent bistro with a above it is actually a full darkroom lab, and then there's an exhibition space above too. So it's sort of like a photo a photo place too. And so you can mm-hmm. actually rent half days or days in the the darkroom lab there and everything too, which is really cool. So you get a lot of photographers coming. So the feedback from photographers was really good because they were just sort of amazed, like, how'd you do this? And uh, just in general, I guess uh, Tristan, the the guy who runs the place, who owns it, um, who's a friend of mine now, when we went back to get it, he said actually a lot of people asked if it was for sale because <laughs> mm. they were just, like, so taken by it, which was really encouraging. That, um, But uh, we for that, we just sort of put a pie-in-the-sky sale price because we don't want to just part with it yet mm-hmm. especially when we're trying to get this documentary out so it's like if someone wants to you know spend a significant amount of money on it yeah we'll sell it otherwise we won't so so when he told them you know the price we had set <laughs> then that scared everyone off but <laughs> the fact that a lot hands of people off tanky. Asking, yeah hands <laughs> off tanky. it's our tanky um <laughs> but yeah the, the fact that a lot of people were just like asking hey is that for sale is, is mm-hmm. pretty cool just getting back to the documentary for a minute. Um, yeah. I know you said that Simon's been out there um, shooting some B-roll and stuff like that, but you did also have... I'm determined to make you bloody talk about these things, whether you want to or not. You have also got <laughs> not just you two in this documentary, haven't you? Do you want to talk about who else is going to feature in this documentary? <laughs> Wait, who else is featuring in the... Oh, oh my oh, good oh, God. Sunny 16? You mean no, Sunny 16 made it no. in? All right, who's the chap who is talking at great length in this documentary about the tanks? Have oh. you seen your documentary? I've watched yeah. some of it. Yeah, yeah, Preston. What do you mean? Preston is the man. Who's uh, Preston? Preston is the key holder for the tanks. He's Ah, right, yes. I do remember when we spoke originally, you mentioned him. Um, but perhaps for some of our newer listeners, they might not know who Preston is. Yeah, yeah, he's the key holder. He So the Bannerman group in Tain actually own the land. But I don't think mm-hmm. they're really interested in the tanks. I mean, they're sort of a liability because people used to sneak into them. Mm-hmm. And so Preston, I guess, one day was on a walk with his wife and saw these metal doors. And it took him 20 years to find out what they were to, which they were to the tanks, to the tunnels. Apparently, mm-hmm. it took him 20 years. And he got a hold of uh, the group, and they actually uh, put him in charge as the key holder. And basically, in exchange, he has made them secure so people can't break in and is managed any kind of private tours so you have to go through preston uh and so yeah so he did a tour for us of the entire facility which it's not like it opened up public you have to somehow get a hold of preston if you want a tour and he has to decide that's okay you know um so i think it's the first time a full tour has gone of the facility which is sort of fun but yeah, yeah, he's he's nuts. He crossed that. If you remember that that video we did where we set up a rope to go across those searchlights right on the North Sea there, that was very very sketchy and shady. Where we used the drone as a grappling hook. Uh, when Preston found out about that, 
he goes, get me over there. And in his mid seventies, he's been over that, (laughs) over that piece of bridge. Uh, Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's Preston's good people. Yeah. So as well as you two, you've got Preston there giving a fairly detailed, um, insight into the history of the tunnels. Also, am I right? And I haven't seen all of this yet. Have you also got somebody singing in those tanks? Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I did, these don't seem like things that are worth mentioning, but let's just bring them up in the general theme of B-roll. Holy moly! Yeah, Lucy Treacher, she's this awesome musician who is originally from the area, and I guess she lives in London now, but she's often up there. Her family's still in the Highlands, um, right, right nearby where the Inch, right near Inchendown in Inver, Invergarden. Um, and so Simon knew her because she actually went into the tanks to do some audio recording. And since we're close to Preston now, sometimes Simon helps Preston if there's bigger people that need to get in or, you know, more people. Or sometimes Simon now will give tours if Preston can't. Uh, so, so he had met Lucy through that because she was recording audio in there. And she agreed to do the music for the documentary, which is awesome because she's local and does cool stuff. And yeah, she she recorded some sound in the tank, which is where currently holds the world record for the longest echo in a man-made structure. So the world's longest echo. She she sang in there. Yeah, that's in the tank where we took the photo. The very same tank. That's where the world record exists. So, and so she sang in there, and we're using that music. And right now, she has uh, the rough cut to just sort of get an idea. And I just sort of gave her artistic freedom and said, "Hey, if you think music makes sense in a place, write it." You know. That all sounds super cool. So there you go. It's not just uh, you two (laughs) making a picture in the dark. It's also all this other cool stuff as well. Sorry to disappoint, Graham. I know you just (laughs) want to see Simon and me bitch at each other for 90 Uh, minutes. No, it's awesome. It's just, it's lovely to see how obviously this was an idea that yourself and Simon originally came up with, um, but how it's been executed and all the other people who are clearly involved in this cool very unusual space um it's great it sounds like it'll all be coming together to to have a real um insight into this special place really so that's very very good yeah yeah i've i've seen um the sort of the first a rough cut of the first 20 minutes and i have to say it was an absolute delight um it's it's coming together really nicely and i'm really looking forward to sitting down and watching all of it um you're still running the funding drive to help pay for yeah. all of this nonsense going on. Kickstarter, um, isn't it? No, yeah. it's a GoFundMe, isn't it? I think. GoFundMe. Yeah, okay. GoFundMe. Yeah. So, where do people need to go if they want to get involved with this? And, like I said, having already seen some of the output from this, it really is well worth it. It's going to be great. So, so if you go to, if you just searching, uh, search, uh, GoFundMe Tanky Mick One Shot, it'll show up. <laughs> Uh, because that was bef- the working title before we decided on one shot inch and down. Um, so, so if you just search GoFundMe Tanky Mick one shot, it should come up as the the first hit. Or if you have um, Graham's browsing history, Google might suggest something else. But <laughs> uh, can I ask a quick question about the crowdfunding side of things yeah. and and using that? How how have you found that experience? Um, because obviously you're not creating a product as such you're creating obviously a documentary yeah. and um i was wondering i mean we've spoken to like tristan a, a couple of other people in the past who have have made documentaries i was just wondering what yours and simon's experience of of doing that has been yeah i i've actually been pleasantly surprised by 
it's it's very much a niche sort of audience at first. I think mm-hmm. it'll appeal to everyone. We didn't get too technical with photography. So I think people who don't know photography are just going to be like, okay, people who know it really well are going to be able to fill in the dots. And then there's going to be a bunch of people in the middle are going to have some questions. But, you know, mm-hmm. we try to make it open to everyone. But as far as just sort of proposing a project to support, obviously it seems to have like a niche crowd. And I've actually been surprised because we're not doing any kind of perks or anything. It's just straight GoFundMe. Mm. And so that considered, we had one, uh, the Film Community Fund, which mm-hmm. um, uh, Dan K, Camera Film Photo, if you know them, and Emulsive are sort of, and some people are behind that. Um, they helped raise a good amount of money and help support it, which was awesome. And, uh, but other than that, you know, we still got, uh, six, you know, we've gotten uh, 1,600 euros about. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, which has been great. And actually, GoFundMe chose us for their GoFundMe Gives Back program. So they gave us 250 euros, the GoFundMe team. Yeah, we were not. Oh, so we were nominated by someone who works for GoFundMe, right? Because I guess it's nominated internally. Mm -hmm. Someone who works for GoFundMe nominated us because he heard about the project on Sunny 16. Ooh, yeah. look at that. Did you know that, Graham? Uh, I did. I had heard that, and that was great news. Um, and That's it just, awesome. It just reaffirms what I've always known, which is our listeners are the best people. The yeah. best listeners. Oh, that's so cool. I'm really pleased to hear that. So, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just didn't expect anyone to want to give money to something before there was sort of proof of concept. Or, you know, you just, why should anyone give 10, 10 euros to some, to a couple guys saying, we want to do something that's crazy? <laughs> that's extraordinarily niche and so so i'm i'm extremely just you know pleased and grateful that so many people have given because yeah well it gives you the opportunity to actually use the time really doesn't it i guess that's that's the main the main thing is that it gives you some time to be able to go and one do the project itself and then to the post-production side of things as well um the in terms of the uh, chemistry and the paper and and everything else um did you go down the route of sponsorship for those or were they donated or were they uh, purchased out of obviously your um crowdfunding well sort of a mix we tried to get mm-hmm. sponsorship for everything uh so actually intrepid along with sending us in larger sent us mm-hmm. a box of four by five film of hp5 that we used mm-hmm. um and we tried originally to get sponsorship for for all the paper and chems and just sort of were turned down by the by the people we sought out mm. and so um ag photographic gave us a discount on a large amount of it which was really nice mm-hmm. and um so that so that was helpful so so the crowd the the gofundme funds covered the paper and all the chems and mm. we and we did get you know uh, a little discount from AG too you know they helped us out so so we weren't you know even having to worry about paying full price because uh, a you know a ten meter roll of fiber paper uh, is you know it's expensive <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah. it's a lot of chemicals to fill up those those pools to fill up the puddling pools yeah. yeah exactly it's more than you think isn't it like yeah. to actually get something that's workable volume. Um, so yeah, I wasn't sure how how you'd sort of approach that. And actually, from what you're saying there, it sounds like it's it really has been kind of yeah. a community effort almost, you yeah. know, with input from various different people. So that's 
Yeah, Wilson. I should mention Patterson Photographic also sent us a tank and to- and some other stuff. Yeah, so Patterson like sent us some stuff. Just it's really nice yeah. to see, isn't it? Like the names in the industry are uh, interested in oh, cool yeah. and interesting projects and willing to you know help support that too. I think yeah. that gives us all hope. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. I I honestly, and you'll hear in the documentary, I found all our voice clips from our correspondence when we had the idea. So they, those mm-hmm. sort of narrate the documentary at times, which is cool that I could find those because I actually have the voicemail which was on Sunny Sixteen. You played it at the end of. Back in yeah. Cooper, I certainly a few, did. A few back. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, but notice you didn't add in the music, which I very thoughtfully added to Simon. Yeah, no, that, that was Ace. I'm, now I'm uh, considering whether I need to add it to the actual documentary or not. But, but uh, you know, you'll hear me talking about like I was just like, there's no way uh, Intrepid's going to just give us an enlarger, and I just said that, and it like is in the thing. But you're just like Simon, you're what what. What are you talking about? Like, oh, if Intrepid sends us enlarger, I'm like, Intrepid doesn't know who I am. They barely know who you are. Yeah. That's the best chance you've got if those two facts are true. I mean, the, the <laughs> moment they do know, you are definitely screwed. Yeah, but they but they came through. Yeah, so like Intrepid, yeah. Patterson, just on, you know, sort of on a whim, like supported it, sent, just sent stuff out. And that was really cool. So, so what's the... Um, when are you hoping to have the documentary ready to go? Do you have like a premiere date? What's the venue? What's the dress code? Um, are we going to be VIPs? Is there going to be a red <laughs> carpet? All of those questions. How long is it as well? How long is the documentary going to be? Right now, the rough cut is about uh, 75 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy so with keeping length. around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were like aiming for 90 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. So we're really happy 75 feels right. So we'll see when it adds music. If Lucy has some really nice music... I might add in just some shots and feature the music a little more if it feels like it'll work. Um, but otherwise, I think I'm happy with that length. And we're talking with, there's, um, it's not set in stone yet, so I don't even know if I should talk about it, but screw it, let's go. Yeah. Um, I'm, drink, I'm drinking really crappy vodka that Simon left here, <laughs> so so I'm just feeling all right. Um, so, so Flow Photographic Festival in Inverness. Mm-hmm. Mm. Simon's been in contact with them and they originally asked would we be interested in screening it during Flow Photo Fest in September. But they didn't realize it was actually feature length. They thought it was a short. Uh-huh. And so talking with them, there's a chance we might do a showing with them in October that's its own event um, in a theater in Inverness which is not far from where it was filmed. Oh, that sounds fabulous. So if you all feel like popping up to Inverness... Uh, in October, if if this goes through, you know it's still not set in stone. We they still haven't seen even a rough cut yet or anything, obviously. But um, so that's right now. That's looking at that's sort of causing our deadline. Uh, you know, setting our deadline for sometime September. So to have it to have it finished. So. That's awesome. And other than uh, the premiere in Inverness, how will it be made available then? Is this something going to? Is it going to go on YouTube or what's the plan? I, so we're not we're still not sure on that minimum i i was convinced at first simon was really on board with a pay-per-view and i was just looking at sort of the outpouring from the community and donating it and i said hey we might be able to crowdfund more of these um so big mike actually in, at the at the hawaii darkroom mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we're in contact with him about how cool would it be to do something like this and create a darkroom in the lava tunnels there and stuff 
And sort of these ideas, we go, we know this is doable. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was saying, hey, we should, like, I would rather, if we release it, make it free, try to create some buzz and maybe have proof of concept to, you know, continue sort of this model um, in different, just different places and just sort of do film photography around the world. Um, and so we, we're sort of leaning that way, but I think we might try also contacting some distribution companies who put out similar stuff, because if we can actually get an actual film distribution company to pick it up, then obviously the reach will be much better. Um, mm. so, so, so that's not sure yet. If we can get it into a couple of festivals and, you know, um, then maybe someone will approach us too. So at first, I think that's our goal is just to get it into a couple of festivals and maybe it'll be up on a website at first, just nothing huge while we mm. look, see if a distributor is interested. And then if not, we might just try to try to promote it ourselves online. But I'm, I'm thinking it might be free or we might do a pay-per-view for the first few months just to see if we can recoup a little more costs and then make it open. Sounds good. Sounds good. And it's great to hear that you're already lining up um, the next exciting installment yeah. of uh, David and Simon go down a dark hole. Um, and at least <laughs> in Hawaii, you won't have the problem with it being too cold. Lava tunnel, yeah. that's definitely not going to be a problem. <laughs> it but... doesn't sound like it would be that cold, does it? it the, the clue's in the name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Just sort of go the opposite route. It was really cold in those in those tunnels so it's time for a warm place for sure okay david so um reflection time yes what would you do differently would you do anything differently and what would you do differently doing this again Uh, i'd have a camera guy Uh or a girl Mm -hmm. um the gender is not very important um yeah uh a a camera operator (laughs) for sure an extra set of hands it's sort of tight space so So an assistant yeah, an assistant mm-hmm. who yeah who can who can actually do that um, with the developing. Like I said, I should have just. We were so tired at that point. Um, it was about midnight, I guess, by the mm-hmm. time we developed. Because, I, like I said, it just everything took super long. So Starting to hallucinate. Thinking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I guess normally, if I was at home, I'd think more about oh, what's the temperature? This temperature is going to dive. I should you know compensate because mm-hmm. I've done that before, and you know. So in hindsight, it's easy to say, oh, I should have left it in for a few more minutes um, than egg. But, you know, there's little things like that. But as far as the project, what I do differently, I think it was just, I think it worked out pretty well as we expected. It was sort of a good start. I don't know. So. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. It's, Simon and I work really well together, actually. Like, we bicker, like, jokingly. Um, but we both like problem solving. So we mm-hmm. we actually sort of get these things done really well. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, if anybody out there listening has uh, or knows of a dark, dangerous hole that you would like to see these two gentlemen <laughs> um, thrown into, exploring <laughs> with a lot of chemicals <laughs> and, and a sheet of paper, yeah, tons of um, yeah get in touch. Um, you mentioned earlier about the work you were sharing up in um, Leon. What what was that you were sharing up there? Um, so I sort of did a few, I did, uh, pieces from a few different series cause I'm not just to, I don't know, give some people in Lyon an idea of, of what I do. So, um, but I, the main crux was I actually did these three darkroom composite pieces, which I actually made for the Lyon exhibition. 
And mm-hmm. since they're darkroom composites, they are, you know, sort of single edition photos, uh, which I was interested in doing too, because in photography, we tend to, the print's almost disposable, right? A, a, a photographer arbitrarily decides an edition, if he, if anything, you know, and mm-hmm. especially with digital printing, that it's just, it's completely arbitrary. Um, darkroom, you can argue, even if it's edition of five, everyone's a little different, you know, and it takes more time. But even still... I, I was sort of interested in this idea of working in composites and playing with, you know, what is photography? What is darkroom photography? Um, yeah. So can you talk us through the process of what you, what is a comp- composite darkroom print? How do you make one? So there's a bunch of different ways you can, you can sort of make them. Um, so you can do multiple exposures onto paper, sort of mm-hmm. like, in, in a camera, except since it's the reverse process, light areas will let, you know, mm-hmm. will let other things show through rather than dark. So, um, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, the opposite. Um, you can also cut masks, like physical masks that you lay over the paper. So, so a simple thing is say you wanted to use a different sky. Say you wanted to do like you do in Photoshop where, oh, this yeah. sky is nicer than the sky I had, but I like the base, right? You would just you know, maybe do a print, print the, the neg where, you know, the sky is crap. And then you just sort of cut, you could cut that print, you know, where, where the sky is, you know, the cut the skyline. Mm-hmm. And then you have the two halves and you lay one down when you print the, when you project the sky and you lay the other one down when you project the base and you could, you know, shoot, do two different negatives on one piece of paper and it looks like one. I mean, there's just all kinds of different things you can do like that. So the ones I was doing in Lyon were mostly this kind of thing where I'd make a reference print and I'd cut it out to make a ma- to make masks and use those masks to do multiple exposures, but where everything doesn't turn black. <laughs> so I don't know if that makes sense. So what kind yeah. of images are you putting together then, David? What kind of stuff are people seeing? The, the the first ones, I started sort of with um, space-themed things because I have a lot of double exposures of buildings that sort of look like ships suspended in air to begin with. Yeah, so well, the can... ones that are sort of disappearing into the sea and that that kind of thing. Is that right? Well, it, so using the same methods, I have mm-hmm. also photos of buildings where I sort of reflect them on themselves. Yeah. Okay. So like just like the ones in the sea, except now imagine the same top and bottom of the building. But since it's not an actual reflection because you're rotating the camera 180 degrees, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like you just sort of reflected the image. So they sort of look like ships to begin with in the sky. Mm. And if you do space, then having a black background is really easy to work with when you're learning darkroom composites. <laughs> because you go, okay, well, cool, that gets hit with light. And then uh, Richard Davies from uh, Twitter, if you know him, mm-hmm. uh, he he does some astrophotography and some analog astrophotography. And he act- very generously sent me a roll of negatives of the moon uh, to work with. So I was able to actually put sort of ships in front of different moon, the moon in different phases, um, which just sort of... I don't know. It's just sort of cool because you just go, wait, what is this? Like just sort of this weird building ship suspended in front of the moon and then use some burning techniques and everything to try to create shadows. Like so one of the shots, there's actually the ship has a shadow on the moon and that's just burning. And yeah, 
And I guess also to sort of join these two halves together, um, you're using those dodging and burning techniques in order to, that they don't, there isn't a, a real crisp line, you know, when you were talking about masks and things. No, there, it, there is a crisp line. Um, oh, is that? Okay. So, mm-hmm. I, so I'll print, I'll figure out the size I want the ship. We'll say the ship, right? And so I have this mm-hmm. negative where it's sort of this double building and just behind it is sky and clouds or whatever. And so I figure out the size I want that. So I print just that first. Okay. Okay, and develop it. And so then I have that negative just sort of as it is. And then I actually cut cut that print to make the uh-huh. mask. And then, So you're doing it like your um, dragon in the teacup idea, yes? That's done in similar? camera. No, the dragon oh, in the teacup okay. is done completely in camera with right. masks in front of the lens. So this is just... Like a, a mask, a just a paper mask that mm-hmm. I lay on top of the the darkroom paper when I'm exposing the other part, just so that part gotcha. doesn't get exposed. And so it's a very crisp line because it's touching mm. the actual paper. Um, it's contact print. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah, yeah. It? it's yeah, like a contact yeah. mask. And um, so you can do that, and it works really well. You just need to make sure it's lined up right, so you know on your enlarger you have your safe filter. That you can put on to reference everything when your paper's already down. Um, I don't know if you. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, it's uh, it tends to sit just below the lens, obviously, yeah. and you can rotate it round so that um, you will get the white light coming through. Or in order for it to be uh, a safe light, it's usually obviously um, red, yeah. so that you can put that underneath the lens. And then when you shine the light through, you can use that as um, a reference so you can actually see the negative that you're enlarging from um, and where it would line up, but without actually exposing um, on the paper. Yeah. And so you do that, and then you can use that to actually put your cutout mask, which is just a cut-up print, exactly where it needs to be. And then weigh it down so, you know, make sure it's flat. Mm-hmm. I usually just use other and larger lenses I have laying around. <laughs> so I'll just have a <laughs> thing with, like, enlarger lenses on. Yeah, and so so you can do this stuff. And it's just you start to learn that basically anything possible in Photoshop is possible in the darkroom, which is... Because there's this idea of purity of, oh, well, I only do... I've, I've had photographers, even digital ones, say, well, I only do in Photoshop what you could do in the darkroom. Which is sort of a funny notion to me because I'm like, well, you can do anything in the dark room. Yeah. <laughs> like, like literally, like anything, you know, you can draw with light, you can paint like you do in Photoshop, you know, you can burn. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it, how there does seem to be, uh, not everyone, obviously, but I guess probably the majority of people, um, and we've talked about this in the past, are there is a kind of idea of the sanctity of the of the negative and of preserving the image that you present uh, as close to um, exactly as you took it as possible. And um, so even tweaking things post-shooting is, you know, seen by some people as not the way to go. You do it all in camera. and, um, And yet, actually, historically, the sort of the birth of photography was quite the opposite i mean the you know the very yeah. earliest days of photography they were experimenting with all kinds of crazy stuff to make it look as um i can't think what is pictorial the right word i'm pictorialism yeah 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 no that's exactly it yeah 
um, doing all sorts of stuff to you know to experiment and make it look unreal and fantastic and do all these things um, and it's certainly not just a, a modern thing that's come with the digital age um, what's the general response like to your work this is sort of interesting that people really like these prints but there's one lady who was there at the vernissage and she was talking to me about those and and she actually said to them i really love these but i would say they're more art than photography (laughs) right and like and so this is interesting to me because i literally only used photographic processes to create these images right like it's it's a darkroom print and i didn't even so much as use like a computer to do layout or anything right i just Mm. i've sort of had Mm. fun trying to do all conception everything just um and i'm not a a analog purist in any way like i'm digital analog agnostic in the sense of if a photographer Mm. is making something good then who cares what they use right Hmm. like yeah i just prefer to project yeah you were working with analog throughout right yeah exactly and that's how i prefer to work because i just don't like looking at screens but but it's just sort of funny because it's like literally photo, only photosensitive processes I used to make. It, it couldn't be more photo. And I, I felt bad because I sort of said that to her and maybe came across a little snarky, especially my accented French, you know, was like, no, what are you talking about? This, this is literally as photography as you can get. It was only photosensitive processes used to make this. But, but you know, the, the, the word photograph is drawing with light right yeah, yeah so you know it's it's art with light so it kind of it could be either couldn't it because you do similar kind of stuff to this rich with your cyanotypes don't you we talked about it fairly recently yeah, with the, so the composite images you were putting together that's right although i um include a digital element as um as well so um for example a couple of the projects i've worked on were ones where um, I delivered some workshops and showed people how to use the uh, cyanotype process creating um, original photograms, but obviously with cyanotype rather than the photographic paper, because of course you can make a photogram using photographic paper in the darkroom as well. Um, But this particular one um, project, I was using that uh, particular chemical and uh, so asked people to create these, showed them how to make them, we ended up with obviously a set of uh, these photograms, uh, which were lovely um, uh, sort of found objects from the site, if you like. And then what I did was to take those and then scan those in and then using other analog photographs that I'd taken of of the site or of um, elements of spaces or what have you, and basically took those, again, scanned the negative once I uh, once I process those, and then in um, Photoshop, use that as a as a compositing tool to yeah. bring all of those elements together to create a digital negative to then make a final cyanotype print from it. So that cyclical nature that you know the cycle of that of how that works and using all of those elements really appeals to me. And it sounds um, in a similar way like you're doing uh, yeah. that kind of thing as well. But obviously you're you're sticking with analog throughout that process yeah yeah no exactly but like like i was saying who cared you know it's sort of the image that matters yeah (laughs) yeah it just and so people get weird about that and like um in cropping and there's you know which if you choose not to crop that's fine if you Mm -hmm. suddenly act like someone else who chooses to crop is less pure of a photographer though then you can go you know push sand um but like 
Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting. I got I got caught up on this idea because someone had had said on Twitter that a lot of digital photography shouldn't even be considered photography. So mm-hmm. ironically, he was he was criticizing digital. Um, but he goes, a lot of digital photography shouldn't even be considered photography, even if it's art, because um, photos have been manipulated um, to change their you know nature and and purpose. I think is what it said, you know, to where that's not even like photography anymore. Okay. And I was like, well, what does that have to do with digital? You can, you know, like it got me thinking, like you can do all of this with only photographic processes. Like what, you know, like mm. who's to sit, you know, it's the artist who gets to decide like what they want to do with their, you know, with their negative, yeah. with their digital file, with their both, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. If you slap a label on it that says this is art or this is a photograph, then I guess that's what it is, right? (laughs) If that's what you've chosen it to be. Um, Do you think that people, and obviously some people do just love the pure aspect of it and that's what they want to do and 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 focusing on on that side of the art and the precision and working that uh, and is all they want and that's fantastic um but we know that there are a lot of people who are coming to this new or coming back to this and you know trying different things out and finding their feet do you think that more people should be perhaps uh, be prepared to kind of jump in and actually have a play around with with manipulating their images whether it's in the darkroom or in um a photoshop or wherever it is just to experience the next experiment with what they've got there and um, do you think people are missing a trick on this stuff absolutely i think so that was um one of the things with sort of ansel adams school in photography he was they were very much anti-pictorialism even though originally Ansel Adams actually did experiment with it, but they became very anti, and then there became this sort of notion that pure photography is, you know, not that, which helped kill off pictorialism. And so I think there's a hesitation to really try that kind of stuff and experiment, and I think it makes you... I'm a better straight photographer, you know, because obviously I'm not anti-straight photography. I shoot straight photos as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um. I experience more people who are sort of snobbish against composite stuff, but like I actually am, I'll also shoot flowers occasionally, you know, like I'm not against that. Right. I'm against the notion that that is photography, but I'm not, um, but I'm a better straight photographer because of my, these kinds of things. Like I understand exposure way better and everything, you know, it both help each other. Right. And me working on straight photos makes me much better and more precise with my composite work, right? So um, even if you decide it's not for you in the end, I think you can have a ton of benefit to just becoming a better photographer, if that's what you want to do. If you just go, I like just shooting macros of flowers, and cool, just shoot macros of flowers. Like, there's no one telling, you know, like, I, I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't. You're not going to regulate flower shooting. Yeah. No, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to. sweet picture of a flower with a bee on it today. You should see it. It was on my phone because um, yeah. I could get a real close. <laughs> it's a sweet picture of a bee. Um, so I, I sometimes wonder whether, especially at the moment, the fact that there is um, a pushback against it is because with the modern photo editing software, um because it's all just sliders and buttons, it's very easy. And because it's very easy, you can perhaps 
make choices that look terrible with no effort whatsoever <laughs> um, you can go real hard in one direction and and um what would you suggest and this is very much for both of you for people who perhaps want to try experimenting with the images they've got or, or you know just uh, mm -hmm. taking things out of the box like what's a good way to start that will expand their horizons in what they're doing and perhaps open up new um, possibilities without Ooh, heading straight sorry. down the garden path. Oh, what, Rach? Sorry, I was just thinking, sorry, I, I interrupted before you finished your question. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, um, but without sort of running the risk of, okay, well, try just inverting all the colours and pushing the clarity slider to 1000%, um, which, you know, is going to be ghastly. What, what advice have you got yeah, for people who might be um, composite uh, interested or whatever, really? I was going to say a really fun one to try in the darkroom is uh, solarising. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, Good choice. Super here, here. easy, simple one to start with. And, and it, it really gives you like um, a very specific look as well. So can you explain uh, solarizing? Because I know nothing. Do you tend to use it, David? Yeah, I do. I also solarize negatives too, which is nice. Oh, how? Oh, go on. Tell us how you do that with the negative. So um, it's the same. It's the same principle. Same process. Oh, right, so yeah. let me. Ex I guess we should explain solarizing, which is um, in the middle of the developing process. Uh, a flash of light can actually change the ionization of the silver halide uh, particles. I think. Uh, someone Does it come to a different on. place on the paper? Yeah, well, it, it changes. I think it changes the ionization, so it changes the direction of developing. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, but uh, this was explained to me years ago before I ever even did a double exposure briefly by a guy when we were drinking, and then I just, <laughs> in my arrogant, overeducated way, just assumed I understood everything without ever having <laughs> taken a chemistry class. And so, so I might be completely wrong. So feel free to fix that on backing paper, any listener. But yeah, so so by exposing to light in the middle of the developing process, it'll actually start inverting, but where places that haven't already been developed, right? So, you know, you're normally your highlights come out first, right? Um, when you develop. And so you can flash and those highlights are already developed, but everything else might become inverted in the image yeah. just as simply. Yeah. So, so you, if yeah. you're using a negative and, and you would create it as a normal print, basically, and then whilst it's in the development process, you flash it with just white light. Yeah. Then that will create a slightly different chemical reaction. Yeah. Um, that's the bit that I don't I don't know the ins and outs of the chemistry side of yeah. that, but effectively a chemical reaction that then, as you say, uh, Dave, uh, changes the direction of it so you've got something that ends up it looks quite um 70s esque yeah. i think um and you can create some beautiful kind of like halos almost around the edge um of of the shapes um and things which is really quite cool yeah this sounds so, very interesting. so the negative the negative works like a print right you okay usually i use an older um weaker either i'll weaken the developer Mm, um, right, yeah. which is sort of what you should do in the darkroom anyway. So if you're doing it with a print, you want it to work slower. So you'll either dilute your developer, make it colder, use older developer, right? There's a number of ways you can do that. So I'll do the same thing with the negative, um, develop it a third or a quarter of the way through. And when you actually do the solarization, changes sort of where it reverses, right? Okay. Um, 
So a third of the quarter uh-huh. way through, I'll pull the reel out in the complete dark in my dark room. Uh-huh. And I'll right. dip it into um, a thing of cold water to help stop it, like really cold water. Yep. Um, and, uh, or maybe not like ice cold because then you'll get um, uh, reticulation. Crystal, yeah. yeah. But um, dip it in water and that also gets all the suds off because otherwise you'll get like sud bubbles printed mm-hmm. onto your neg, which you might be into. So go for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, use a flash, like an actual flash. And I point it away in the, in the dark room. Uh, okay. Just, just bounce like, it. Yeah. Off. Just a yeah. camera flash. Yeah, and then uh, put it back in and finish off the developing. And ah, so it I, is the, yeah. exactly the same principle, it's, isn't it's it? It's exactly then? the oh, same yeah. principle. Oh. You just have to play with your flash strength when you pull it and everything. Mm. And I've actually used that to get a really nice, full, uh, direct positive image on FP4 at, like, exposure index, like, 4,000. Like, you can <laughs> actually get... Wow. No, I'm, like, not kidding. Like, it's... It's like exposure index. I shot it at four thousand, and it's a direct positive image. That's wonderful. Um, so it, you can do some really cool stuff with it. Yeah. So yeah, that would that would be the one that I'd say that's a real fun one to to try out. You know, um, in the yeah. in the dark room and uh, and what have you. Um, was was there anything that you were thinking of, David? I mean, that you'd suggest. Well, I guess the the whole notion, in some ways, like. The thing, the fact that everything is easier, isn't necessarily a bad thing. It means there's a lot of bad photos out there because people easily up sliders without thinking about the image. But it also means that you can just sort of start with what you want to do, and the sky's the limit, right? It makes the concept harder. It puts all the onus on the concept rather than on the execution. Um, and so I think sometimes with experimentation, people just experiment like like Graham was saying, where you're just like, I'm going to do this slider. I'm going to invert. But <laughs> like, th- just like sit and think and like, what would be cool? Like, oh, this building would be cool as a spaceship. Like, just start with a concept. Don't think about what tools do I have? I have clarity. I have this. Start with a, what's the concept that would be cool? If the sky was the limit, if I, like there were no technical boundaries, what image would be cool to mm. create? And then start experimenting with trying to make that whether it be in Photoshop or anything, and you might find, oh, this is sort of hard or I have to think about it. But starting with sort of the final thing first and then playing around, because sometimes you'll end up with something nothing like the original concept, something you stumbled on trying to affect that concept, which is just a, that's usually how I work is like, I just assume I can do everything, even though that's not true. And then, you know, sort of proceed and end up doing something that's actually doable, but. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I think Graham, maybe you and I approach it from the opposite end, where we're like, "Hmm, we can't do any of this," <laughs> and we have a go, and then it's like, "Oh, well, that kind of worked out." But we meet in the middle, I think, David. <laughs> Eventually, uh, whether you whether you approach it thinking, "I've got this," I, I know exactly what I'm doing, or I have no bloody clue what I'm doing, um, but you end up kind of getting there anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't end up doing it right. Yeah, no yeah, matter how much I think I can do it. <laughs> yeah. I think the point you're making, David, of um, as with all photography, the best way to get a good result is with intentionality, yeah. is going, uh, this is this is an idea that I have, now how can I achieve it? Um, mm. I, I had a message today from um, Sam from SolarCan uh, who got in touch out of the blue saying, have you seen Animal Mystery's new book, which I haven't seen? Um, it's, it's really good. Uh, and he sort of showed me a few pages from it. And this book is um, sort of funky, uh, interesting looking street scenes or whatever. But 
with just some very subtle but quite quite bizarre when you spot them photoshop work going on there just little bits and pieces just, that just make these pictures uh surreal little delights to look at um, awesome. i'm i am mm. definitely gonna we need to speak to Anil about this um and I'm definitely going to be seeking out this book. But, you know, that's a great example of where Anil clearly had this idea uh, of, well, I mean, I'm sure he will put into words far better than I will, but it looks like sort of taking uh, mundane scenes and just just slightly making mm. them into surreal mm. pictures. It just in some of them, you, you kind of have to look twice to see what's amiss. You know that something's not quite right, but... Um, <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to get a copy then, because it sounds like something I'd enjoy. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. I really like the point that you were making, David, as well, which was about the idea that the concepts, the kind of where the value is, you know? It's like it, pretty much anybody can make a, a relatively good technical image Yeah. Uh, now, you know, with, with all the fantastic technology that we have and the opportunities that we have, but not everybody can come up with an interesting concept or an interesting idea. Um, so I think that's kind of cool. I, for like to avoid semantic, because we get into this whole like, oh, photography, art, what's art, capital A, mm -hmm. capital P photography. And so I always, I've just come to make the distinction personally. I mean, whether or not like when you get to semantics, it's just how I define it. But um, I, I like to separate between art, like artistic media, like photography is an artistic medium. Mm-hmm. And then what art is, and I think the intentionality is what it makes different, right? Like photography is an artistic medium. That doesn't mean every photo is art, capital A art, in my view. Sure. Uh, and, and that's sort of how I, I personally, my personal sort of kitschy definition is art is philosophy by other means, right? So I like to just say art is philosophy by other means. Like if you have an idea, but you're not putting it into traditional words, that's, that's sort of art. You're starting with an idea. Um, and, and so, so that's, you know, I, I do, I do photography that I don't consider art, you know, but it's photography and I do photography. I also think is art. So, um, mm. and, then, and then I think some people do art that incorporates photography, but isn't, you know, just photography. And, and so I, I just like to sort of think about things in those terms, like, oh, what's an artistic medium? What What is capital A art? And that intentionality, that sort of philosophy behind it is is sort of what how I've defined the difference, you know? Um, anyway. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Um, it would be interesting to see what our readers, uh, our readers, because <laughs> we, we, we publish lots of text. Um, yeah, this does go out as a weekly <laughs> yeah. um, uh, print paper. I don't know. That, uh, people um, God, assume know this, don't they? They go to the oh. local WH Smiths and pick up their copy oh. of the Sunny 16 um, newspaper. Dear me. It's got late. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I but I was genuinely thinking it would be interesting to know what our listeners think about yeah. that as well um, and to see what they would define as art or photography or both or you know and where yeah. where their lines on that lie or whether they see it as a complete merging of um merit you know a medium yeah draw yeah. your venn diagram and and at me on twitter 
Dean yeah. Bloomsday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At Dean Bloomsday. At all your hate mail to at Dean Bloomsday. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think we, we are currently um, sort of getting towards the end of the uh, negative positives double exposure challenge, which is, again, a similar kind of thing, really. You know, it's... How long has that been going on, by the way? Because uh, didn't they propose that, like, eons ago? No, this is this one's actually no, been fairly concise. One. This one, they, they, they were actually doing this quite concisely. Um, okay. we, there's had to be a brief extension because some people are running a little bit late. <laughs> I don't know which people that would be, but some people are running a bit late. Um, but that's going to be wrapping up in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, that's a case of just two separate people jamming two pictures together to see what comes out and and i like that what you started off with talking about the fact that um you were working with um richard davis who i think is at paleo boy on um twitter is that right yeah or paleo boy i think it you think it's paleo boy but i think it's not actually paleo boy okay yeah (laughs) anyway uh, anyway, you'll find him richard davis and but he does interesting stuff yeah yeah but i i really like that idea of um this is an opportunity to work uh, to be make produce a collaborative work with somebody as well i think um yeah it's it's a fun thing to do and um i think the fun thing about this kind of work is that it's something that you can do or you can think about uh when you can't get out and shoot sometimes as well maybe there's no light maybe it's pouring down with rain but maybe you can get in the dark room or you can get on your computer and you can workshop some ideas or you can reach out to somebody and say hey I you shoot this kind of thing and I do this kind of thing and maybe we could do something together that could be cool and um I think there's a lot of avenues that can be explored with that um yeah no I mean there's and and that's even just staying within the realm of photography just using photographic processes like which I just sort of adore that he has he had negatives of the moon that were just shot on film it's just sort of yeah and the sky's still the limit like you can work with people and i don't i don't have a desire to shoot moon eggs it's cool i'd rather like work with him and and then um to get those composites you obviously have a bunch of test ones uh until you get it perfect you know and so i sent him the near like three of the near perfects you know as a thanks and stuff and which is sort of fun like i like that community aspect to it too yeah Mm. yeah it's cool. It's fun. Well, we should think about wrapping this up uh, because um, it's getting late and our words are starting to fail on us a bit now. Um, <laughs> I think we talked already about where people need to go to find the GoFundMe. So just at your own peril, Google um, GoFundMe. Thank you, Muck One Shot. Yeah, the GoFundMe part is imperative. It's, it's just... very important. <laughs> yeah. But we will. Um, also. And where would we find you as well? <clears throat> uh, D Bloomsday on social media. D B L O O M S D A Y. D Bloomsday uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and then davidasallen.com, I guess, is my website. And you do, of course, have your Patreon as well, don't you, David? Of which yeah. I am a very uh, happy supporter um, and very happy because I get some cool stuff from it. I got a beautiful print of a dragon in a cup. That was always yeah. nice. And um, a copy of your lovely magazine, um, The Insulite. How do you say that? The Insulate? Um, insulite. Yeah, so it's sort of like the French meaning sort of strange. Uh, like, yeah. Um, there you go. Well, that's, that's sort of like bizarre, interesting, strange, yeah. Yeah, well, if people like the bizarre, interesting, and strange, they should go and find you on Patreon as well. And what's your Patreon mm. account? Is it just D Bloomsday? Again? I think it's also D Bloomsday. Yeah, keep it simple. Keep the same handle and everything. So. Sounds like a winning plan to me. Um, yeah, well, that about wraps us up then, doesn't it? Am I forgetting anything, Rach? 
Um, in case anybody's interested in what Simon's up to, oh yes, uh, do you have his uh, details as well so people can follow him? Yeah, so he is SR Film Photography, I believe. SR Film. Let me just double check that right now. Um, I'll just have my assistant, uh, which is my fingers. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe it is getting right. Oh uh, yeah, so SR Film Photo. Uh, so if you search SR Film Photo, but it's, uh, Simon Riddell. So uh he puts he puts up a lot of updates on instagram particularly of what we've been up to and i think he has a lot of posts from his time here too so <clears throat> and um yeah so simon's a good guy to follow and as we get closer to the release both of us will be of course blowing up social media as much as we can so <laughs> yeah just like that <laughs> Uh, well we should look forward to it um, well if that does do us then Rach is there anything else I've forgotten I think that's everything for this week oh, it's been super lovely to chat to you David yeah, and uh, yes. again thanks very much for bearing with us in, at the beginning with the uh, technical issues and uh, it's been lovely to get a, a catch up on what happened considering it was very close to when we last spoke to you. I think you were going that weekend or, you know, like yeah. three or four days later, um, heading out on this crazy adventure. So it's nice to get the sort of update on uh, how it all went. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Um, listeners, if you want to get in touch with any thoughts or any questions about the uh, issues we've spoken about tonight, that makes sense. <laughs> what is art? <laughs> what is art? <laughs> if you'd like to write in and explain to us exactly what art is, or even better than that, um, write in and let us know what your thoughts are on this kind of project. If you've ever done something like this where you've sort of got a bit... Um, creative with your photography or with what you've done with your photography or what you would like to do and the idea is please do let us know write to us at sunny16podcast at gmail.com and of course you can always find us on twitter and instagram and facebook where sunny16podcast pretty much everywhere you can find rachel because we don't mention this often enough and i think most <laughs> people are really going to want to find rachel now rachel what are your twitter and instagram handles um, unfortunately, I couldn't have all of mine the same as much as I would have liked to. Um, but on Twitter, I am Vintage Photo Co. Um, on Instagram, I am Little Vintage Photography or Little Vintage Weddings, because obviously this is two parts of my business. Um, and uh, on Facebook, I am Little Vintage Photography One UK. Unfortunately, somebody else already had it. <laughs> so there you go. You can find me mainly on Twitter and on Instagram. There you go. And you know Rachel's going to be a great follow. Lots of lovely pictures always on Rachel's feed. So, And, and on our Twitter feed, you sometimes get pictures of bees. So That's right. You just yeah. never know what's going to pop up next. We will play you out, as always, with Promises I Should Have Kept by the wonderful band Rocha, uh, Rachel's band. Um, you can find their music on Amazon and Spotify and probably in WH Smith. And <laughs> um, iTunes. And uh, iTunes. Yeah. All those kinds of places all those kinds of places do check it out it's wonderful and we will be back next week with more of this stuff so until then listeners thank you and goodbye goodbye